Hosea, and last week we ended with chapter 2, and like I told you last week, this is literally my favorite book in the entire Bible. It is one of those uh, books that uh, not only is more romantic than Song of Solomon, it is one of those books that is, is completely and utterly full of the faithfulness of God to a person, to a people that are unfaithful to him. And, and God reaches out in chapter 2 with this amazing, beautiful song, this amazing, beautiful uh, poem, wooing uh, back those that had treated him with contempt, those that had treated him with unfaithfulness, those that had treated him in a way that was totally against anything that is even beyond a, a human uh, relationship uh, with viciousness and slander and with all the things of hard-heartedness and stiff-necked, and yet God still reached out to them. And at the end of chapter 2, this is where we ended last week, and we'll read the last three verses of chapter 2 again. And I, I love this passage because not only does it include all three of the children's names, but it takes the negative form of those names, uh, Jezreel, Loami, Loruhama, and it changes them to the positive. And in verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, And it will be in that day that I will answer, declares Yahweh. I will answer the heavens, and they will answer the earth. And the earth will answer the grain and the new wine and the oil, and they will answer Jezreel, the name of the oldest son. And I will sow her for myself in the land, the definition of the oldest son, and I will have compassion on me, on her who had low on me, the name of the son, the second one, or the, the second child. And I will say to those who are uh, Ro-Ruhama, the name of the third child, you are Ruhama. And they will say, you are my God, changing the negative into a positive. Who is the only one that can do that? Who's the only one that can do that? God. So, Father, tonight as we approach this amazing, amazing section in the Bible where you change what, what has been bad, what we have made bad, what we have destroyed, what we have um, corrupted, the sin, uh, the shame, all, all the unfaithfulness on our part, Lord, you change it to good. You redeem the past, you make all things not only uh, for our good, but also bring glory in the same process to your name. We don't see it in the middle of the problems. We don't see it in the middle of the trial. We don't see it in the middle of the, the horrific things that may be going on in our lives, even right now for even people in this room, people that are watching online or people that will see this in the future. Lord, help us to see in this amazing section that you do the impossible with, with, with people that have completely turned their back on you. And you make something ugly and horrific into something that's beautiful. Changing a, a people who were not your people into a people that are yours showing compassion on people that do not deserve compassion, sowing good where we have sowed bad. Lord, I ask that you would help us tonight really personalize these verses, really personalize this book, this chapter, these amazing sections in the book of Hosea. And then, Lord, help us to see in in the immensity of, of your perfect timing, that it's right in the middle of the time when we celebrate your death and resurrection. And tonight, when we get to take communion, that, that you saved us, a people that did not deserve your salvation. 
uh, people that did not earn it, uh, people that did not uh, in any way deserve it or, or work for it or, or in any way and have a, a place in your kingdom, and yet you reached out to each and every single one of us. And you paid for it with your own son on the cross. Nothing of our own. 100% by grace. So Lord, help us to truly, truly, truly understand that tonight. And then help us to be able to so grateful for it. Lord, I ask that you speak clearly to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Yeah, you see, in, in this section... Uh, not only do we see every single one of the names of the children of Hosea and Gomer, and, and remember, Hosea didn't even know if these were his own kids. I mean, the, these, as far as we know, uh, were, you know, sired by those in the community, the ones that Gomer had literally slept with. And remember, last week we learned that Gomer was this adulteress. She had gone out, and, and Hosea, knowing that she was going to be an adulteress before she becomes an adulteress. And then now that comparison between Israel and Gomer, Israel is the adulteress to God. And if we put ourselves in the story, we too understand that we have walked away from God. And every time we walk away from God, every time we sin, the comparison is not to something that is, you know, just a, a black dot or, or, or a, a strike in our name. No, it's a, actually acting in an adulterous way to where, where sin is equivalent to prostitution in the Bible. Where every time I, I sin and I choose anything over God, what am I saying to God? I'd rather be with this thing than with you. I, I choose to be with this thing rather than you, God. And yet God is so faithful even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. And by the way, this last verse we remember from last week is quoted in the book of Romans, and it speaks of the Gentiles. It speaks with those people that are not even, don't even have a single drop of Jewish blood in them. Uh, people that were not chosen from the very beginning are now part of... Uh, the family of God, the children of God. So it continues there in chapter 3, verse 1. And again, we're in the LSB, the, the, the Legacy Standard uh, Bible. It'll be on the, the screens there. And the reason why we're doing that, and you're going to see it through here, is every single time we see the name of God, and you're going to see the name of God in every single one of these chapters, multiple times in these verses, uh, the name of God is translated. So the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in most translations is actually translated with the name of God, uh, Yahweh. And so when it says in verse 1, then Yahweh said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by her companion and is an adulteress, even as Yahweh loved the sons of Israel, though they turned to other gods and they love a raisin cake. You may be reading this, and it's kind of foreign to us. You know, I like raisin cakes. You know, what's so wrong about raisin cakes, right? I, I, I like, you know, and, you know. Uh, I remember when we first came to America, and my wife wanted to try fruit cake, right? You know, uh, you know the the cake that's on Christmas time, you know. And, 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 you know, I, I had tasted fruitcake maybe, you know, 40 years ago, and, and I hated it, you know. But she wanted to taste what this fruitcake tasted like. And, and so we tried, you know, we ordered it and whatever, you know. And, and it never, ever meets the expectation, right? It, this is what uh, the raisin cakes back then, okay? The, these were cakes filled with fruit, okay? But they were used for not just, you know, their celebrations in terms of Yahweh or the God of Israel. It was used in the celebration of their idols. And so what they would do is they would actually bake these cakes for an idol. And they would put it before this idol, trying, trying to tempt the idol to do something good for them. 
I give you a raisin cake, you give me something good, right? You answer my prayers. This is what uh, Yahweh is saying to Hosea. That same woman that you married all the way back in chapter one that has slept with every single guy in town, I want you to go to her and I want you to buy her back. But this time, it's, it's not just the wooing. It, it, it's not just the asking. No, you are going to buy her back so that she is yours. You see, and of course, even today, you know, uh, with, whether it's a, a, a prostitute or someone that sells their body, unfortunately, it is a horrific uh, practice. It is, as we're going to see, slavery. This is what Gomer had done. She had sold her body. What does Hosea have to do? He has to pay his own wife just to come back home. I mean, it's unfathomable. It's truly horrific. But it shows the redemptive love of God. Because what did Jesus Christ do, as we're going to celebrate on Friday? What did he do for you and for me? Died on the cross. He, he, he redeemed us, right? And this is exactly what happened in verse 2 there. So I bargained for her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Now to us, again, this is foreign. We don't quite understand these numbers, but this is a degradation of a human being having literally to be bought. And by the way, this price that is paid is half the price of a slave. A slave was normally bought for 30 shekels of silver. A human life, a, 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 a person that you would buy into slavery. And now, what is he paying for his wife? And what is the value of his wife's worth dropped to? Her own self-worth. What is he paying for her? Half the price of a slave, 15 shekels. And, and, and by the way, the barley? That's not the good stuff. That, that, that's the, the rough, you know, uh, you know, the rough stuff. The, the, the stuff that we would consider, you know, healthy today, uh, this would have been the rejected stuff. This, this is the stuff with the roughage on it. This is the hard grain. This isn't the soft wheat. This isn't the soft flour. This isn't the good stuff. This is the bad stuff. And, and so... You know, nothing on Hosea's part. What is he paying for his own wife? She has devalued herself. And by the way, like we talked about last week, and unfortunately, we have to kind of use these terms, she is literally used up. She has slept with every single guy in town, and now Hosea is having to buy her back. I mean, first of all, would any person ever do that? And then this goes to show that Hosea is being a God in this situation, showing the faithfulness of God to Israel and to us, by the way. Because that was what Israel had done over and over and over again devalued themselves as a nation, literally selling themselves to foreign nations, selling themselves out to the idol, degrading themselves as a people, running away from God. Whenever we're unfaithful to God, that is exactly how we act as well. You see, sin always degrades and always enslaved. Sin always degrades and it always enslaves. The perfect illustration I always like to use, and 
I've used this many, many times is, is that, you know, dirty, grimy can that you find on the side of the road. It, it, it has still part of the whatever was in it. And Coke is always a good illustration because Coke is bought very, very little in this church. You know, Pepsi is the choice of drink. And so Coke is always worse than, you know, and that's the worst can that you can find, right? And, and, and it's covered in the, the sticky black stuff and, and, and there, there's whatever is in it that says it's been sitting in that gutter. And, and you take that can and you take it to the redemption place and instead of giving, you know, maybe a penny or a half a penny for that can, they give you a million bucks for that one can. They, they redeem that can for a million bucks. And, and you've seen it on whether it's the, you know, the bottles or, or the cans, the redemption value, right? Is it worth a million bucks? Would anyone ever pay a million bucks for that can? But that's what Jesus Christ did for you and me. Because you're worth less than that, that can on the side of the road, by the way. And you're, you're filled with sin, which is even worse than the sticky stuff in the can. We're, we're, we're ugly and we've degraded ourselves and, you know, we're sinful people. God sent his only begotten son to die for you and for me. A, a value far greater than any monetary value. He redeemed us when we were still enemies of God. And this is what Hosea is showing here. Uh, she had devalued herself. She had run away from her husband. And now he's buying her back. Verse 3, then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man so I will also be toward you. He had to buy her faithfulness. H how horrific is that? A, 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 what's supposed to be a, a loving marriage, he has to actually pay for his wife to stay with him. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Hosea or, or tried to read the book of Hosea and it, you know, maybe, you know, you got it, maybe you didn't. And hopefully for the first time as you're reading through it, I mean, this is absolutely amazing. Because this is what God does for us. For the sons of Israel we remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, or without ephod or household aisles. Idols, they're going to be taken literally in 722 B.C. Assyria is going to come in. They're going to be taken captive. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and they will seek Yahweh, their God, and David, their king. What's going to happen after this time of discipline? What's the first thing they're going to want to do? Worship the Lord. Because as you know, and we've been through it, we were in the book of Jeremiah, we were in the book of Ezekiel, we were in the book of Daniel. Uh, there was a period of time when the temple was destroyed for 70 years. And the very first thing they want to do when they come back to the land is build the temple. Why? Because they missed worshiping God. They weren't able to do it in those other countries. They're going to long to worship God again. The last part of verse 5, and by the way, chapter 3 is only five verses, and they will come in dread to Yahweh and to his goodness in the last days. Is God going to hold it over their head? Oh, you were just an unfaithful person. You were just an adulteress. I don't want you no more. Is that what God's going to do? Would God ever do that to any of us? No going to shower them with goodness. God's going to bless them. So the first three chapters, we see this personal uh, story. In fact, more personal than any other prophet in the entire Bible. We see not only the wife's name, but the three children's name. 
We get three chapters on the personal life of Hosea more than any of the other prophets. And now the rest of the book is all prophetic. And again, you can see there just in your Bibles, it is in a different typeset or a different type of font. It is in a poetic form. It is in a this this uh, a poetic form that brings about not only this this sing song or if you will this rhyming pattern in uh, the Hebrew, but it also speaks of the contrast between the unfaithfulness of Israel and the faithfulness of God. In fact, it always starts with the unfaithfulness of Israel, and it always ends with the faithfulness of God. Israel has acted in a way that was rebellious. They were going after all the other gods and all the other nations, and God focused on Israel, blessed them, and brought them back to him. By the way, isn't that how God works with us? Does God love unfaithful people? Does God reach out to unfaithful people? Yes, he does. Chapter 4, verse 1, continues on. Listen to the word of Yahweh, O sons of Israel. For Yahweh has a contention against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth or loving kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing of oaths, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They break forth in violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns and everyone who inhabits it languishes. Along with the beasts of the field and, and the birds of the sky and also the fish of the sea disappear. There's two things I want to bring out. All, all those sins that are listed there in verse 2, those are the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not murder. Thou, thou shalt not covet or envy thy neighbor's goods. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And what had Israel done with all those commandments? Just completely broke them all, right? Completely broke them all. But then the second thing that we see here in these verses is how it impacts nature itself. You see, all the way back from the beginning, even the Garden of Eden, who was it that was supposed to be the one that took care of the garden? Adam. Humankind, right? We, we were supposed to take care of the garden. But unfortunately, when sin entered uh, the world, sin entered through Adam and Eve, what happened to the garden? Yeah, it was cursed. The, the land is cursed because of what? Sin. This is what happens when sin enters into the world. And so even in Israel itself, Nature itself anguishes. Na nature itself is affected by what? Sin, right? Man's sin. And it describes it there very clearly in verse 3. Therefore the land mourns. Everyone who inhabits it languishes along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Sin doesn't just affect you. Your, your sin doesn't just, however we, we try to justify it, you know, no one will know, right? Well, unfortunately, people do know. It somehow has a way of getting out. Sin destroys. Not, not just you, but those around you, and it affects even, you know, uh, nature itself. Verse 4, Yet let no man contend, and let no man offer reproof. Indeed, your people are like those who contend with the priest. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also 
will reject you from ministering as my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I myself also will forget your children. Why, why do you even come on a Wednesday night? Why, why do you come on Sundays? Why, why do you come to church? We, we worship God, yes, but, but there's not only the privilege of worshiping God, and thank God we have talented people that lead us in worship. Thank God for that. When you come here on Easter, you're going to see the stage is going to be literally filled with people, okay? And, and they're going to be worshiping God, and everyone in the audience is going to be worshiping God. Thank God for that. But if it was just worshiping, uh, you could go to a concert for that. Why do you come to church? Well, you can do that, in, you know, in, you know, in a in a room somewhere, right? You know, why why do you come? To learn about God, right? To to read from the Bible, to to study the scriptures, and this is exactly what they have not done. They've rejected the knowledge of God. In fact, that's exactly what it says there in verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They, they don't want to know God anymore. They don't want to learn about God anymore. That's boring. And I'd rather go do this or whatever, you know, it is. And thank God for technology. You know, it, it, it goes out and we're able to to minister to people that, that can't come to church. And thank God that we can, we can be here. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and all of you guys know this. I know you've, you've read this before many, many times. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Ignorant fools despise wisdom and discipline. I love the way that Proverbs is. It's very, very uh, just in your face. It doesn't mince words. When you want to know God, where does it begin? With knowing him, with fearing him. And then the opposite is also true. What does it call people that despise wisdom and discipline? Used more times in the book of Hebrews than any other book. Literally, that four-letter word, you're a fool. You're, you're a fool. The Bible says it, right? When you do not seek the Lord, what are you acting like? An ignorant fool. And this, of course, was what the Israelites were doing. This is what happens when we ourselves don't make our relationship with God a priority. Verse 7 of chapter 4 in the book of Hosea, they more, or the more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me, I will change their glory into disgrace. Remember when we were in the book of Jeremiah, they literally out the surrounding nations. The nations that they were supposed to be an example to, they out them. They, they, they did worse than the surrounding nation. They eat the sin of my people and lift up their soul toward their iniquity. And it will be like people, like priests, so I will punish them for their ways and cause their deeds to return to them. We're going to see this throughout this, this next section. It started with the religious order. It started with the religious leadership. It started with the priests. Why were the people doing what they were doing? Because the priests set the example. The, the leadership, the, the pastors of the day set the example. It, the pastor did it, so I can do it, right? That's the excuse. They will eat but not be satisfied. They will play the harlot but not break forth in number because they have forsaken Yahweh to keep harlotry. What have they chosen over the faithfulness of God? to be unfaithful. And we, it's easy to point the finger at them. It's 
easy to point the finger at the other person. Oh, did you hear about what that person did? We, 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 we love focusing on other people's sin. Rather than, as the Bible does, make sure it points directly to yourself. Directly to the person up here. To us. It starts with our heart. It always starts with the people of God. Verse 11, harlotry, wine, and new wine take away a heart of wisdom. My people ask their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand declares to them, for a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot departing from their God. And by the way, again, this word harlotry, this word adultery is used more times in the book of Hosea than any other book in the Bible. It is the focus, it is in your face, describing what sin does to us. It may start out small. It may start out as just a, you know, a, a glance or a picture or something like that. But then what does it expand into? Yeah. It gets worse and worse and worse. Verse 13, and they offer sacrifices on the tops of the mountains, burn incense on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth. Because their shade is good, therefore your daughters play the harlot and your brides commit adultery. Does it affect just the people, just the adults? Does it just affect them? No. What does it go to? The next generation, the daughters, the children, even the bride. You see, the comparison of sin is to adultery. I mean, it literally describes sin as what it really is in the eyes of God. It destroys a life. It separates us from the one who loves us, God himself. Verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot or your brides when they commit adultery for the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with cult prostitutes so the people without understanding are ruined it always takes two to commit adultery right it always takes two do, do you understand that it's, it's easy to blame the you know whatever the, the woman or, or the man or, or whatever it is, but it always takes two, right? There's always two. And in adultery, of course, it's always committed when there is a, a, a marriage involved. This is different than fornication, which is outside of marriage. Adultery is always in a marriage. You are committed to another person, and what do you do? You walk away from the relationship for someone or something else. This is what is happening. Of course, God is, uh, you know, nonpartisan. He doesn't just blame a, a single gender. He makes sure that both people are acknowledged, not just the women, but also the men as well. Because what are the men doing? If there was no unfaithful man, uh, what would happen to prostitution? You wouldn't need it. Clay, thank you. Right? You wouldn't need it. If men stayed faithful, would there be any need for... Yeah, thank you. Verse 15 there, Though you, Israel, play the harlot, do not let Judah become guilty. Also, do not go to Gilgal, nor go to Beth-Avon and swear the oath as Yahweh lives. They had all the lip service. They, they had all the right words, the religious lingo, right? They, they knew what the right things to say, the right things to promise, but did they actually live it out in their walk? No. Since Israel is stubborn like a stubborn heifer, can Yahweh now feed them like a lamb in a large field? Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. 
Now, this is now the introduction, starting with verse 17, to another word that we're going to see here used more in this book than any other book in the Bible. We see not only harlotry used more in this book than any other book in the Bible. We see the personal life of Hosea more than any other prophet in the entire Bible. And there's this word, Ephraim. And, you know... This is one of those tribes that we don't normally emphasize in the Bible. We, we don't even, very few people know a lot about the tribe of Ephraim. But we're going to see the tribe of Ephraim, this, this word Ephraim used 37 times just in the last eight book or eight chapters of this book. We're going to see the word Ephraim used more in the book of Hosea than any other book in the entire Bible. And I, I made sure I counted them all, by the way. And to understand, we're going to see this being emphasized next week. So, so please come if you want to learn about Ephraim. Ephraim was the youngest son of Joseph. Did you know that? It, 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 was, it was the one that when Jacob blessed his grandsons, he switched the hands. So if you want to learn about him, we don't have enough time to go into it today. But, but if you want to learn about him and, and the importance of the tribe as a whole, because they're now going to become uh, the central tribe in the north of Israel, they're going to be equal to Israel in the north. They're going to be the tribe from which every single king of Israel in the north is going to come from. And they're all going to commit harlotry against God. They're all going to be unfaithful. They're all going to be bad kings. Okay? In fact, every single king in the northern kingdom of Israel is going to be bad. And they're all going to descend from Ephraim. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Verse 18, their drink is gone. They play the harlot continually. Their rulers dearly love disgrace. Is there anything new under the sun? What, what does it say about their political leadership? What do they love? It says it right there. The very last word. What does it say? No, disgrace, right? Yeah, dishonor in the New King James, but, but disgrace. That's what they love. They love the publicity of their sin. They love the publicity, the front page news of what they have done wrong. They want to display it for everybody to see. The rulers love their disgrace. Is there anything new under the sun? In fact, you see it in the blogs today. You see it in all the things that go on today. The flaunting of sin. Verse 19, the very last verse of this chapter, it says, the wind binds them up in its wings. And they will be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Have you ever come to church and whether it was the day before, or the week before, or whatever it was, you you committed some sort of sin, and you felt like you know I I can't go to church, right? Can't take communion or whatever it is. We're we're gonna get to celebrate communion in just a little bit. You feel ashamed of that sin. In fact, this is exactly what Israel was doing. They were purposely. Sinning, they would go to the idol. They would commit their adulterous act. They would give their raisin cake, and then they would go to God. They would go to the temple. They would go to their place where they would worship their God. And what would they do? They would, you know, do the sacrifice. What, what are you saying when you do that? Is there any faithfulness in what we have or what we do? You see, there's a commitment that God always wants from his people. He wants faithfulness. 
And are we faithful to God as he is faithful to us? And so we're going to be entering into a time of communion. I'm going to ask the the guys to come forward and and the worship team to come up. I'm going to read a a chapter, not, not from normally where we normally read from the book of Matthew, but I'm going to be reading from uh, 1 Corinthians tonight. And, and when you get the elements, and the guys are going to pass them out, we're going to be singing up here, and, and you know, you're going to be holding the elements, right? You're going to be holding these, you know, the, the cracker and, and the juice. Uh, I, I want you to hold those things and really look at your life. Maybe, maybe there's something that, you know, you're holding on to. Maybe there's a sin. Maybe there's there's something that was revealed to you tonight or, or maybe something that you're, you know, struggling with in your own life. Just bring that before the Lord. It, maybe, maybe you don't even know God tonight. Tonight's the perfect night to know God. This is the perfect week to come to know God. Because you can right now. You just say, Lord, I, I believe in you. Please help my unbelief. Or, or Lord, please come into my life. Even, oh, I want to know you. Will God enter your life even there, even now? Yes, he will. And so as the, the men pass out the elements, as the worship team sings, just hold the elements in your hand. We're going to be taking it corporately together. Uh, thank you, guys.
Thank you, lady. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, it says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, for, for the worst. We always idolize the first century church. We always idolize these, these you know, new Christians, their church. They had it the right way. They did it the perfect way. And in 1 Corinthians, they were the church with the most spiritual gifts, and yet they're performing uh, the Lord's Supper, the communion service, in an unhonorable way. You see, the rich people would come, and they had transportation. They didn't have to work, so they would come, and they'd eat up all the food before the poor people get to get there. In fact, that's exactly what it says. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Even in the first century church, people had cliques. Isn't that amazing? There was divisions even in the church in Corinth. Therefore, when you meet together in the same place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Or do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. Paul's really digging into them about how they conducted the communion service. They were just taking a hodgepodge. They just took it whenever they wanted to. Certain people would take it before other people. It would just you know, a free-for-all. Skip ahead there to verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Oh, wow. That is hard to read. See, we, we, we don't believe that this is the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's not going to become the body of Jesus Christ, and when you take it into your mouth or when you swallow it. But we do believe that this is sacred, that this is uh, something that is, is, is sacred between you and God. This represents not only your relationship with the Lord, you are communing uh, with the God of the universe that sent his son to die for you. And if you don't believe that, there's no reason for you to take it. You don't have to go to this church. You don't have to be a member of this church. But you do have to know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior. Also, what they were doing is they were purposely disgracing the communion by taking it in a unworthy way. This is just like any other wafer. This is just like any other drink. I might as well just do it at home, right? So we're supposed to examine ourselves. It says that in verse 28, but a man must test himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. In verse 30, it shows the severity of the judgment. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Why, why do you come and take this? Why are you, you here tonight? And I, I, I know you guys. You, you want to honor. You, you want to have communion with God. 
I, I appreciate not only those of you that, that, you know, tell me what this means, but also the privilege of, of knowing your own stories. This is something special. You know, we, we, we look forward to this time, right? Verse 32. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Why does God discipline his people? Because he loves them. He doesn't want them to act like the world. So tonight, before we take this, I, I just offer you a, a short amount of time. Just, just examine yourself. Lord, is there anything hindering my walk with you? Is there anything between you and me? Just confess that to the Lord. Just, you know, quietly confess it to the Lord. Examine your heart. Maybe, maybe there's something that you need to do. I don't know. Maybe it's with someone you know or, or someone uh, you, you are, you know, acquainted with. Maybe at work or your family or whatever. The, the Lord prompts in your heart. Go, go to them. A ask them for forgiveness. Is there something between you? Or is there something between you and the Lord? So I just give you a couple minutes to do that as we, before we take the communion service. Lord, quietness is hard. Silence is hard. Lord, we, we do. We come before you, and as we hold these elements in our hand, as we, we um, contemplate not only your, your death and your resurrection, but also our own failings as well, our own sin and our own lives. How it's not just some... Uh, a black splotch or, or something that is our oops or, or our my bad or whatever it is. No, it, it, it's something that destroys a relationship with you, first of all, and then our relationship with those around us as well. So Lord, as we, we reflect on these things, as we confess these things before you, Lord, I ask that you would just help us, especially this week, to really understand uh, the gravity of sin, our sin, and how it affects uh, us and you and our relationship with you and, and the price that you had to pay for that sin on the cross, the, the immense price of your son. So, Lord, as we take this communion, Lord, I ask that you just help us to treat this as something that is holy, that is something that is sacred, as something that is precious to us as your children, as those that know you. And so, Lord, as we take this communion tonight, I ask you bless it to our body. Grow our relationship with you. Revive it within our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, and when he had given thanks, I love that part, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when you put that bread in your mouth, remember what Christ did for you on the cross. Verse 25, and in the same way he took the cup. Also after supper, saying, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord till he comes. So when you put this juice in your mouth, remember what Jesus Christ did for you. As our tradition on Wednesday nights and also when the uh, apostles did this as well, they, they sang a hymn. This is one of my favorite Easter hymns. It's all about what Jesus Christ did on that Sunday morning. He arose. Please stand with me as we sing this song. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose, with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. You got the tune, right? Here we go. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus, my Savior, vainly they seal the dead. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ alone. The chorus one more time. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. So, Lord, we thank you tonight for your faithfulness. It wasn't us that sought you. It was you that sought us. It wasn't us that paid for our sins. You paid for our uh, sins. It wasn't us that loved you first. You, you loved us first. Lord, we, we thank you so much for your seeking love. And, and we, we truly get to celebrate that this week and help us, help us never to forget that. But especially uh, this week when we come back on Friday, when we come back on, on Sunday, Lord, I ask that you would create within us a desire uh, to grow close to you, a desire to be intimate with you, a desire to know you personally. And especially as we have that taste in our mouth left over from the communion to remember 
as your word says over and over again, every single time we take this, we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ. What you did for us on the cross. And so, Lord, as we depart here tonight, Lord, I ask you bless these, my friends and my family. I ask you use us for your glory, as we, we say every single week. But, Lord, especially this week, Lord, help us to remember and be a, a living beacon amongst those that we come into contact with of your faithfulness and love as you did with Gomer and Hosea and the nation of Israel as you do with us today. So Lord, I ask that you use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.